You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, everybody? It's Kev. It's Coach AB. Uh, We're live. We're live, Kev. How do you feel about being live right now? Uh, it always feels good to be live. I like I, I like doing this live. It uh, gives a little bit extra to if you feel like you're not talking to a screen, you're talking to to someone on the other side. I tend to agree. I mean, we're awkward <laughs> enough as it is. Um, That's true. That's why we brought on Trey to to break the awkwardness. <laughs> yeah, we're awkward enough as it is. Uh, so it's nice knowing there's other people out there communicating by uh, the chat and everything. Before we get started, I got something that I need to say. Uh. You know, it's the typical do this, do that. Before we get going here, I need everybody that gets in here, hit the like button, you know, make sure you're subscribed, do all that mumbo jumbo, all the stuff that's going to be important for us to keep growing this, keep growing these uh, YouTube channels, keep growing as a brand with uh, Knowles 24-7. Speaking of Knowles 24-7, Kev, you're not a, you're not a website kind of guy, but I don't know. Did you see? I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did you see the 60 percent off deal that they're doing uh yeah i, I did see the 60 percent off deal and if i wasn't getting yeah, it so, for free that would be a good deal yeah i mean so it runs through friday uh make sure you go in if you're not already subscribed to Knowles 24 7 uh you get brendan chris zach brett trey me um kev dane Anybody that you can think of, those guys are there every day at practice. I mean, the coverage that they've had so far before I joined this site, you know, we were with Tomahawk Nation before we, you know, the Knowles 24-7 was kind of the go-to to to get your information on practice. Um, The videos, the, uh, you know, the practice breakdowns, the recruiting scoops, all that. It's, it hasn't changed. It's only continuing to improve. Be sure to go in. Get yourself some of that 60% action if you can. Um, if you're not already subscribed. Yes, best in the business. I mean, I mean, Sterling. AB is literally live at the practice facility as we speak. Nobody else is here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm putting it overtime. Okay. They I snuck my way in. All right. I went straight up commando style. John Rambo snuck in. I'm in the I'm in the <laughs> upper levels of the IPF right now. Gonna talk about a little bit of action. All right, gonna talk about a Two commitments, two DB commitments. Yeah. Maybe going to have a special guest. Maybe going to get a, another special guest in here at about 830. Um, so, yeah, anyway, back to the main point. 60% off. Make sure you get on. Get subscribed to Knowles 24-7. You're not going to find better coverage out there. That's my best pitch. I'm not a big I'm, – I'm not Trey Rowland when it comes to the pitch, but I'm doing my best here. That man could sell ice to an Eskimo. Um also want to mention that we are officially part of the on the bench podcast feed. Uh, so we are the X's and Knowles podcast. So you're going to be able to find all of our shows on the, uh, on the bench podcast network. Make sure you go into all the places that you love to listen to your podcast, find it, get subscribed there too. Um, get all the action you can from us. Get all, hear all my, <laughs> hear all my words, wherever you consume can. our content. Yes, please, please consume our content. It's great content. Uh, whatever. It'd be better, <laughs> it'd be better if Trey was here. It would be. 
That's that's why we bought them on to do to do self ad reads. Um, that's right. But besides the ad stuff, we're here for a reason, right, Kev? We're here to talk about. We're here for a few reasons. Today's a, sure. a an action packed show. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. And there's a lot going on in the chat already too, which I like. Um, we're going to get to some of the questions and stuff in the chat. We're going to we're going to try something a little bit different tonight. We're going to try to do like a I don't want to call it a news show style, but we're going to. We're, we're going to try to break this up into different segments and get as much of this information out of there as we can um, talk about as much as we can. And then in the hour, let's get started with Malik Feaster. We're expecting the one, the only, the animal himself. Chris need to join us here shortly. Um, Chris gets in here. We're going to talk about there. He is <laughs> there. He is the man, the myth, the legend. Wow, that was up, very shortly, Chris. Yeah. Chris, yeah I've, been, <laughs> I've been sitting here. I thought you guys were stalling for a minute there, but we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm just doing my very bad bad ad read. That's all that is. All right, Chris, tell us tell us about Malik Feaster. What do you know about the kid? How do you feel about the kid? I I think it's a good take. I mean, you're filling out a roster. He's a one year rental, for lack of a better term. He's a guy that definitely will add depth. He has experience. He's a long framed kid. He's played a lot of snaps at this level, not this level, but at collegiate level. And I, I, you know, they've kind of had a uh, search party going on there at the defensive back spot. And I, I think they wanted to find a guy they could trust as a potential too deep contributor. And I think that's what they get in Malik Feaster. I don't want to turn him into more than he is, but I think he's a guy that if he has to be forced into duty, you have to use him. You feel comfortable with it. The disappointing thing with him is because he doesn't graduate till here this coming week. He won't get here till, you know, they're almost three weeks in the camp. So he will obviously be playing a good bit of catch up in regards to doing what FSU loves to do with their back seven. Yeah, so I think that that kind of feeds into to what we like to do on this and kind of dive into the uh, nitty gritty. So um, I have. We're not going to do film tonight. We would typically do film of uh, of all of our commitments, but. For tonight, because we wanted to go live, there's a whole rights thing. We can't really do live film on live YouTube. So we're going to skip that. Uh, but we can do this. There. We can. We can bring up the old chalkboard. All right. So Malik Feaster, he plays boundary corner primarily. Um, and uh, he's he's got length. So that's where they, they're going to put him. Oftentimes, you'll see this free safety. Uh, his eyes cheat this direction, putting this guy kind of on an island. Um he also is asked to to kind of enter in the run game often since he's going to be put on the on the short side of the field. Um, so so that size that he has um, and football experience, having having played a couple of years of, of college already, um, uh, kind of gives you some some comfort as a guy that kind of bridges that gap, in my opinion, between um, kind of your starters and, and the guys that you want to end up developing. But um, yeah, wh- where do you kind of I mean, I know he played boundary corner in at Jacksonville State, but do do you see him kind of staying in that role, or um, do you think he's gonna maybe push to field, uh, just be moved around? What What do you guys think? I, I'm interested in that. Truthfully, uh, he's six foot one eighty seven. Those are the measurements, I believe. That's what he was measured last year at Jacksonville State. He's very physical. Uh, if you look at the couple clips that Brendan had in his scouting report mm-hmm. at a midday yesterday, it was yesterday, right? Days are starting mm-hmm. to run together. Yep. We can't, but midday yesterday, both of those kind of exhibit that that's a guy who's willing to come down. He's willing to cut people down. He's willing to be physical and he actually enjoys it. Like, he, he, you know, some DBs just tackle because they have to, it's a job requirement. He enjoys tackling people. 
So I think he's a guy, if you want a physical nickel, he'd be great. Uh, FSU does a lot of different things with their nickel. Obviously, Kevin Knowles is a guy they lean on a lot there. Greedy Vance is a guy who's worked his way in there. I think this young man's a bit of a departure from especially Greedy, but both of those guys in the sense of being a little bit more of a run support physical guy if you want to bring him down. If you want to put him on the island, again, it's going to help you. I think it's sort of a safety net for what you have in Jerry and Jones, a guy who's had a better camp this preseason than he's shown in the sense of in his career here, I think he is finally pretty healthy. That probably helps the cause a bit. So, uh, you know, I still think he's a safety net for FSU. I think in this search for a defensive back that they've had here, basically since National Signing Day in February, it's been about finding a guy who can help them, who they can rely upon. And if he's forced into a great deal of duty, he's prepared for that moment. And I think in Feaster's case, because of his collegiate experience, they feel he would be prepared for such a moment. He, he yeah. reminds me a lot of uh, Jarquez McClellan from last year. Yeah. A guy that they never really thought was going to come in. And there was a lot of debate. Is he a scholarship guy? Is he not a scholarship guy? He was, a, he, but he was a player who I think that they felt safe knowing that they could throw him out there and he was going to be able to give them solid snaps game in and game out uh, in emergency situations. And he ended up having, playing a pretty sizable role at the uh, free safety spot last year yeah. and looks to play another sizable role this season. Um, it's going to be tough for Feaster to come in. I mean, we're going to be, you know, you just mentioned it. We're going to be a week and a half into camp before he even gets on campus. Um, I, I'm sure he got obviously knowledge of the concepts that they're going to, they're going to require as he's been playing college football for a few years. Uh, but there's going to be a learning curve there. I mean, he's going to have to come in and get the language down. I would, I would assume that if he came in, they're going to try to keep it pretty base for him early. Um, he's the kind of guy you probably want to get a lot of reps against Duquesne and get him those, uh, those live those live fire reps in a game situation so that if you needed him against an LSU or later on down the road, he would be a little more prepared. You can almost treat that game. I don't want to say you're going to overlook Duquesne because God knows we're not <laughs> in a position to overlook anybody anymore, but um, you, you know, you can throw him out there, maybe not have to try to rely on uh, uh, Duke Cooper as much in that game or Renardo green, or even a, a Kevin Knowles and let uh, Feaster get some of those reps. Uh, Kev, I mean, you watched him. He was a boundary guy. Do you think he's got a strength uh, coverage-wise? Is he a man guy? Is he more of a zone corner? So they, they did do a, a fair amount of the same uh, scheme that uh, Fuller likes to sit in. So nationally, we were we were fifth in um, percent of plays that were cover four. Uh, so Jacksonville State happened to run a lot of that same scheme, uh, had a lot of the same feel to it. We're going to keep that guy in the boundary he is your boundary corner. He is the mm-hmm. guy that plays the short side of the field. Um, so I think I think naturally those guys are going to be bigger. They're going to be more box hungry. And that's really the weakness of the the cover cover four is that if you're able to isolate that boundary corner on a, on a faster receiver downfield, they're usually not the best coverage guys. Um, and that, so that's why you get the longer guys. So hopefully they can kind of kind of make up for that a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I think the the interesting question for me is that you have a couple of guys in like in Renardo Green, Greedy Vance that are kind of the more experienced types, but then you have a couple freshmen that you're very excited about at the corner position. Is this is Feaster bringing him in some sort of statement to the to how they feel about how quickly these freshmen will be contributors, Chris? I think there's a carryover effect. I guess it was two years ago now, year one of Mike Norvell where they, by the end of the year, had pretty much no DBs. Mm-hmm. Their depth yeah. just got dilapidated, and they were very shorthanded. 
I think there's been a carryover effect of that. They don't want to be caught in such a situation again. They'd rather have a guy like a McClellan last year, for example, or a young man like Feaster this year, who when they need to break glass in case of emergency, they got a guy they can trust who's, you know, kind of steady Eddie. He's seen a lot of live bullets. He's going to handle wins well. He's going to handle losses well. I think that's what Feaster is. I don't think it's an indictment upon what they have in young guys, especially AZ Thomas. They love AZ Thomas. I mean, <laughs> it's he, hard he's not been, to. yeah, he's been awesome in camp. Like I, I know camp's one of those time periods where the hype machine mm-hmm. gets running in overdrive and the echo chamber loves to do it. Thomas has been as advertised. He's been unbelievably good. The last two days, especially uh, Sunday was about as good of a practice as you're going to see from a freshman, especially at defensive back. Now in the same breath, Marcus Woodson speaking on AZ Thomas today said, the next step for him is when they put full pads on tomorrow, when they scrimmage on Saturday, is the physicality going to be there to match up with what he can do in that seven-on-seven setting? If it is, then yes, he's going to play a lot. But I think Feaster's a guy, again, it's all about experience. It's all about having a guy, if you have to turn to somebody else, you feel comfortable who you're turning to. There's a few guys in that secondary, Demory Tate comes to mind, Travis Jay's another one that comes to mind, that could sort of have a uh, – smaller window now to prove it or lose it and i think they want to have guys where if those guys can't be trusted those are the uncertainties of camp those are the uncertainties leading up to the season if those guys cannot be depth pieces you can trust out a variety of positions in the back half of that defense then you have this guy who you believe is trustworthy i think that's what they were looking for in the person that they got in feaster yeah that makes sense um so scott scott uh, duran had a he had a question. And I think that that answers uh, about why they were chasing DBs. L- let's let's get into Jabril Rawls' um, commitment today. What what can you tell us about uh, what could, what can you tell us about him, Chris? Have you guys had pleasure of watching his film? We have not watched it yet. We're gonna we're gonna put it on. So uh, I've known Rawls a good bit here in the 2022 cycle, mostly during this year. But I knew of him last year. He's a Pensacola kid, Catholic high school over there. He's long. He's athletic. I don't want to use clunky. I feel like clunky is the wrong word, but like there's something about him from a cornerback perspective that he's going to have to be taught at this level. The athleticism is fine. He's six, two pretty long armed kid. As you see on the film, he's a return man. He plays some wide receiver. You'll see him high point some balls as an offensive player. You'll see him run away from some people in both special teams and on offense. There's plenty to work with there. There's just something about technique for him if he's going to try to live the life of a corner. Most guys FSU brings it in the secondary, start out as cornerbacks, and then they'll kind of figure it out if they need to move around, whether it's nickel, whether it's safety, you know, what spot is this guy going to be? But they usually try to start a guy at corner out of the gate. I think Rawls is capable of being a corner, but it's going to be interesting what he has to do to kind of prove that here. I don't think he's a ready-made cornerback, maybe comparable to like an AC Thomas who – I think AZ obviously had a great deal of benefit of having an older brother who played at this level, actually mm-hmm. two of them, and Wanye Thomas and Azende Ray, who <laughs> Azende Ray played at FAMU and then played at Georgia Tech to wrap up his career. So he kind of knew the demands of the college game, and he also had a yeah. brother who played secondary at the college level to help bring him along. I think that helped him be ahead of the curve. I feel like Rawls is your standard freshman. He's going to come in with a lot to learn. How quick is he going to learn it? And I, I am interested, where does he settle in? Because he can get away with being a safety all day, but FSU likes to try to make their guys in the corners. And I think he's a young man that they will try to do that out of the gate. And I think he is athletic enough to do it too. Like I, I'm of the opinion, Kenton Kirkland, KJ Kirkland from Jacksonville Reigns, 
if he ends up at FSU, I think he's a safety all the way. Mm-hmm. He, he's a hallway guy. He's a big body. He's got great straight line speed. He's not as much wiggle in the hips, kind of flip and go kind of guy. I think Rawls has a bit more of that to him. But, you know, he's got to be molded. Yeah, I mean, you you see it here. Um, I wouldn't call him the most fluid when he gets into his turns. Uh, he, you know, there's a little bit of hip tightness there. But yeah, the, he he's doesn't six, open two. up I mean, well. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. He does when he's having to flip his hips and go, or just open up and play to different parts of the field. He doesn't do it great when he's just running, like pure running yeah. north south yeah. up and down the field. Plenty of athleticism there. But but at six two, if you teach him to be physical and use that length, um, it makes up for especially in a cover four scheme. It makes up for a lot of the the hip turning that you won't have to do because you're not going to be at, required to do quite as much of that in that type of scheme. Um, as if you were, you know, if you were playing some cover two or or playing a ton of man, which FSU does play some man, but they've been playing more cover four and they yeah. want to play more cover four. Uh, I mean, cover four quickly turns to man. It and, does <laughs> when you get down the field. Yeah. All zone turns to man when you're down the field. But I don't know. I, I, I do see corner here. I, I think Chris is right, though. He's a guy that you feel safe. If he can't play corner, you feel safe kind of projecting the safety also. Um, kind of yeah. like that free safety spot. I think he's. I think he's going to be one of those guys that you could ask to man up. You know, you could ask to man up on a slot, kind of like what they do with Jimmy I mean, Robinson playing free safety um, right here. Yeah, yeah, he's he's willingly physical. He will work downhill. He will be a aggressive guy into the box. He's a guy who is willing to finish plays. You know, safeties sometimes get a little overbearing with trying to play downhill mm-hmm. and lock their eyes in. And uh, you know, I I think he's a young man who would be fine in the sense of playing with hesitation, playing the pass not always playing with his eyes downhill and trying to be a guy who's just going to rack up hits. I think I think he kind of represents something that this staff, I think, has has done a pretty good job of. Uh, when you have to go down and grab three three stars, um, they found the guys that have the things you can't teach, right? They they find the three-star offensive linemen that have the good feet, right? That's, that's hard to teach, right? You make them lose some weight, you teach them hand play, but feet footwork is hard to teach, hard to get there. Um, they find the the corner. You can't teach being six foot two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they love long corners. We see it time and time again. They want to put that guy in the boundary. They they want to, you know, like the similarity between him and Feasters. They're both six foot plus, right? The, these are guys that in a perfect world, they want to be able to put on the outside. They want to be able to trust um, with that length, deep striders, someone that you can, you know, as a cover four corner, you really don't don't have to worry about um, getting beat inside because you, you've mm-hmm. got you, the, you leave them if they go inside. So you want those guys that can stride with the longest wide receivers receivers off to face. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting, uh, pers- interesting take. And I, I think it kind of fits this idea of get the guys, get the three stars that that have the intangibles that you can't necessarily instill in them once, the, once they get here. So I didn't watch them that intently at Showcase because I watched mostly the big men. You know me. I love my big men. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the non-one-on-one stuff and the drills, it, defensive back drills are so much about flipping hips, going, direction, and stuff. He doesn't look great in that. Yeah. I, I took a little bit of that in while shooting photos and some videos of guys, and that's not where he shows out. Where he shows out is a willingness to be physical, being long-armed, having the ability to run vertically or just any direction down the field with somebody keeping up with him step for step. That is what he's good at. 
I think he's a kid who, if he takes a coaching and he has an effective coach, he can really develop. Like he's got some nice tools, but he needs coaching at the corner. Mm-hmm. If he's going to play cornerback, I think he's a little more ready-made safety, but it's probably true of most defensive backs, especially if they're willing to be physical yeah. because that's a job requirement. Well, the nice part is you brought some talent in, you know, AZ Thomas, Sam McCall, you've got a Marion Cooper. These are guys that are going to be, you know, Kevin Knowles. These are guys that are going to yeah. be there for a few years. You're not going to require him to step on campus and and ask a ton of them if he can, if he shows up and is ready made. Great, I mean, you get him in the rotation. If not, he's going to be afforded the opportunity to kind of sit and learn his learn his craft. Yeah, I mean, and I still think they're going to add to that class. As I mentioned, Kirkland's yeah. not a guy that I definitely think they would like. I am interested if they had landed Avery Stewart. I wonder if Rawls would have definitely met a green light guy. Who knows? I don't at this point. But I, that is one of those kind of uh, is this a domino effect situation yeah. or was Rawls a guy that they liked enough in June that when they got him back at the end of July for a showcase that that's what created the green light yeah. situation. It wasn't necessarily not a human being as much as him earning his spot. Hey, Kentucky's out here doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It is what it is. Yep. yep. There's welcome a sale to, the to what you're willing to pay. Yeah, welcome to the NIL era, baby. Well, let's get into the showcase a little bit. Uh, Chris, we don't want to keep you too much longer here. <laughs> unless you're going to stay around and talk about practice with Brendan. Um, yeah, which I'll hang around. More than one, we would love to have you. Um, the big one's Hakeem Williams. That, yeah. that that's, that's the one in this class I feel like they've got to find a way to get done. Um, I think that that's the one that takes you to the next level as an, as an offense outside of an elite quarterback. You've already got Lucas Simmons in the fold. You've already got Rod Kearney in the fold. Um, they're battling for some other big-time offensive linemen. But I think those two right there really solidify your offensive line going forward. Um, Hakeem Williams, I just think, is a difference maker that they yeah. they haven't had in this program in quite some time. What can you tell us about him? Hakeem Williams would be the best high school skill athlete they had gotten here in years. It would be the best yeah. one of the Norvell era for sure. Yeah. Um, He's a big man. He's an athletic man. He's a basketball kind of kid who can play football at a high level. Everything you like about a basketball player, you know, kind of the bunny hops, the ability to move his feet quickly, do things in tight spaces, translates well to football. But he's also got the the speed, the athleticism to separate from people. FSU loves big receivers. You can look at the current roster and the way they've started constructing that position that they love size. They value size immensely. They would love size that can separate. That's what Hakeem Williams can do. Mm-hmm. He would be a massive get. FSU is legitimately in that race. I think they've done a good job of evaluating if they can play that game, if they can be there for the long run. I think they believe they can. It, you know, it's them. Pitt, who's kind of a surprise name. Then you got Georgia, Texas A&M. Those are the juggernauts in the sense of recruiting ability that you're going to have to compete with. But I think FSU believes what they've done with Hakeem, what they've done with Hakeem's family, that they put themselves in a good position. It does help that him and Omar Graham Jr., freshman linebacker from Florida State, from Stranahan High School, same high school as Hakeem. They are very good friends. Omar is a very big spokesperson for FSU. FSU did a great job recruiting Omar, and I think he's had a very good college experience since his arrival. I think that also benefits that Hakeem kind of has that hands-on feeling with FSU where he knows, you know, the fit, the family, the things that they sell, the the code words that they use in recruiting it translates to what it is like for a student athlete who's currently on the roster. So do we want to watch maybe a minute of Hakeem Williams film? For I, I can watch Hakeem Williams film all day. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I love good receivers. I've, I've missed it around these parts. I, I think he's years. the best receiver in the country this year. I, 
I, he's one of them. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I love Shelton Sampson. I'm a huge fan of his too. Hakeem, though, his body mix with his athleticism, uh, it's a tough combo to find with anybody else. Like Shelton yeah. Sampson's much thinner guy, yeah, uh, not quite as bulked up. Great top speed, which is something Hakeem also has. Hakeem's fun as hell to watch. Um, yeah, he is. He's a very good basketball player, and so many of the things that you want to see on a basketball court, you can do yeah, on a football stupid. field. He's got so much balance. He's got the ability to pull away. This is at 6'4", 200 pounds. I mean, this kid's Dwayne Bow. I mean, this is yeah, – Oh, he, Dwayne Bow. He's a freak yep. show, man. He is a freak show. It's a guy you got to get. Um, yeah, Mike he looks Norvell like a to, massive running back running downfield once he gets the ball in it, his hands. Yeah, if Mike Norvell wants to make it to Florida State, these are the guy battles they got to start winning. Uh, or else yeah. – what is this field they're playing on? Uh, it looks like they're going to a soccer field. Oh, they're all lines. Okay. Um, while, while we're watching Hakeem, there was another wide receiver on campus, one that's committed to LSU. Was this a courtesy visit or was this uh, uh, all business? I mean, I, he didn't want to do an interview as he departed. I did speak to him a little bit. Uh, you know, I asked him why he came, essentially. And he said that it was something that was in the plans before he even committed to LSU. FSU and him have a good relationship. We're talking about Jalen Brown, yeah, wide receiver yeah. from Miami, Gulliver Prep, teammates with Lamont Green, Florida State commitment, defensive end. So, yeah, to some degree, yes, it was a courtesy visit, to so just keep it simple. But if that thing opens back up, FSU will be in the discussion. I think Miami would be the one that probably has the most swag at trying to swing him away from LSU. Most people thought Miami was the main competition when he committed to LSU. I think that would still be the case down the stretch. But FSU's kind of positioned themselves where if, you know, it goes sideways with LSU and Miami's filled up, they're in that talk. And, you know, they're going to be part of it. They sent them an official offer today. Today's the first day I can send the official offers out to prospects in the 2023 class. The actual real offers, not the verbal types. And they sent him one. He likes the staff here. They've done a very good job. Uber-talented kid. Uh, track speed to some degree, mm -hmm. very, very good at getting north-south very quick, very, very good at securing the ball when it's in the air, very good at tracking the ball in the air, very talented guy. Um, but I you know, I think he's pretty firm to LSU right now. He'll play the game a little bit probably, but yeah. I, I think LSU should feel pretty comfortable about where they stand. And Miami's probably the one that would concern them the most. I don't think FSU's put themselves quite in that talk yet. All right, well, we've talked enough about these skill guys. Chris, I want to talk about the most awkward handshake I've ever seen on, on, on camera. <laughs> Zalance Heard behind the scenes. Yeah, you and Zalance Heard. So for those who didn't watch, please go make sure you uh, watch the Lucas Simmons and Rod Kearney interview. Because in the back, right about a, the 26-second mark, Chris goes for the fist bump. Zalance Heard says, uh-uh, I ain't having none of that, baby. Fist bump is my preference, especially when I've been in the heat for 10 hours. I'm fat. I'm sweaty as hell. Like, I, I don't want to be putting this paw on you right now with a bunch of water on it. So I'm just going for the fist bump. Keep it cordial. He had no interest. And Zalance was kind of funny. He was very to the point with everything. You know, I talked to him individually and a few other guys on the beat, including Dane Draper with us, also talked to him. And it's very funny. I listened to both interviews separately done, and they sound almost exactly alike. Mm -hmm. Very short, to the point, stuff like that. That's kind of Zalance. Um, yeah, no, it was very awkward. I was humored it was caught on film. <laughs> uh, I didn't even know until you sent me the screenshot or you shared the screenshot. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Zalance's dad, I believe his name's Chris Ellis, if I remember correctly. Very large man. I think he told me he played at Grambling, if I recall correctly. Um, it was pretty cool. He He – you know, all parents kind of take the video of their kid when they're going, but he said that him and Zalance, whenever he's doing events, camps, workouts, things of that sort, 
they do go back and watch this stuff and kind of study it. Zalance is a massive human. He kept telling me, I think 6'6", 310. He's probably a bit heavier than that right now. But uh, I think 310 is what he expects to play at. He needs to be coached up a little bit. Like there, there's clearly stuff that he can be better at. You know, like Max Buchanan's a 2025 kid from Seminole. His dad's an O-line coach. It shows. Most high school O-linemen don't look like that in the sense right. of like knowing how to do everything. Zalance Hurd is the opposite end of the spectrum. He's so big and powerful that that's what he leans into so heavily that at times the technique is neglected. But, yeah, he's talented. I understand why LSU, Florida, FSU, um, Texas is another one I know that's been in there. Nebraska actually has done a really good job with him. I would say Nebraska and LSU prior to the visits to FSU and Florida were the two that were at the top. FSU's in that discussion. If he prolongs his recruitment – FSU goes to Baton Rouge, or I'm sorry, uh, New Orleans and beats LSU and gets them back here for an official. That one might get a little interesting. But right now, I think it's more so LSU is probably going to beat out Nebraska if a decision comes mm-hmm. sooner rather than later. Now him, or I'm sorry, not him, his father told me that he thinks he probably won't decide till midway into his senior season. Okay. Well, I guess that's one to keep an eye on if he uh, does come out and extend things. The last, I think the last prospect worth talking about, and, and there are obviously more there, that uh, I'm sure you and Zach and Brennan are going to get on the bench and kind of discuss a little more in depth. Zach's been putting out insider reports um, on the Knowles 24-7 message board. So, again, 60% off deal. Make sure you get in there and check that out. Uh, There's so much content this weekend. It was insane. But Blake Nicholson, um, mm-hmm. I think this it, that's the last one. Seems like that's coming to an end soon. Couple, uh couple crystal balls going in. Uh, maybe maybe heading in Florida State's way. Yeah. Um, what Steve Wiltfong, our national guy, put in one. Brandon Huffman, West Coast guy, one of the best in the business. Him and Greg out there in the West. Greg Biggins do a phenomenal job. I think they're the two best West Coast guys in any network in this entire business. They've been at it a really long time, and they do a hell of a job. Uh, they both put in Crystal Balls, Huffman and Steve Wiltfong, yesterday for FSU. Wiltfong, I believe, had originally put one in for Oregon. That was after the Oregon official in late June. FSU's done a good job of kind of holding the ducks off, getting this uh, unofficial visit with he, his parents. That took about four days. And, uh, you know, FSU's done a really, really good job. I think the best way I can describe the Blake Nicholson uh, recruitment over the last about six, eight weeks, the official visit, like a business visit, like it was very serious. We want you to learn more about school, things of that sort. And it went well. He enjoyed himself. And FSU was wholeheartedly in it. Because of that visit in the or it was FSU, Oregon, UCLA as of the 4th of July. This return visit felt like a kid and his family figuring out this might be my future home, hitting it off with current commitments. He spent a lot of time with like KJ Sampson, Lucas Simmons, Keldrick Falk, were a couple of guys I know he connected with. They did a good job, got a feeling for some of the current players, spent more time watching the team, got to check out multiple practices. I believe he went to Thursdays and Sundays, if I remember the days correctly. I think that's important. Uh, the linebacker position at FSU is in a lot better place today than it was 12 months ago. Tatum Bethune, Kalen Deloach's involvement, big reasons for that. I think it's a big positive for him to see that because I'm sure in the negative recruiting department, what he's hearing from others is, you know, oh, staff that probably doesn't have a long time here. Well, you know, he might be seeing something in practice that makes him think that it's going to turn the tide. You know, oh, their linebacker position has been a mess, which is a truthful claim for what it's been for the last several years. I think it's going in a positive direction. I think Blake's an intelligent enough kid who understands the game of football, very good athlete, plays both sides of the ball. He can watch those practices and come away with it. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Derek Ray. 
uh, GM for FSU. Ray's done a phenomenal job in that recruitment. I, I'm not trying to diminish what Randy Shannon or Adam Fuller or anybody else on the staff has done there, but Derek Ray is the main connection for that young man and his family to FSU, and I think he's helped put him at a great deal of ease with it. I, FSU's really positioned themselves well. He didn't set a hard date. I think it happens by no later than like August 14th as of right now, but you know, I'm waiting for him to actually set a, a confirmed date. Wisconsin has tried to come in there late, but I don't think it matters. In the end, I think it's FSU Oregon right now. If I was entering a crystal ball, it would certainly be on FSU. I think it's important to note that um, one of those crystal balls was from our very own Brendan Sinone. Oh, he'll, he, he'll make sure you know that. He's desperately typing away in the private chat. Tell everybody I, I put the first seat crystal ball in. Tell everybody. Yeah. There's going to be L's in the chat for Brendan Sinone when he gets in here just because he deserves all of those L's. Um, what I what I like about Blake, and he didn't work out at Showcase, yeah. um, but he's an every down linebacker, and mm-hmm. those are tough to find in this day and age. He's a really, really athletic kid, not scared of physicality, but he's a guy who I think will be an effective pass coverage guy. He's also good at working downhill, pressuring the passer. He's very good at finishing the run. I, I just think he's a kid that, you know, FSU likes linebackers that they can train at both spots. They like guys that can play in every kind of package they play. When they go to a three linebacker package and like against a a 12, they're comfortable with a guy of his yeah. sort. And I think that's I think that's why they value him. He would by far be the best linebacker commitment in this class if he ends up here. I, I think he's just head and shoulders a better football player than DeMarco Ward. And I'm not trying to diminish DeMarco Ward. I just sure. I think Blake Nicholson is legit. I, I think yeah. 24-7 ranks him higher than the industry. I wholeheartedly agree with 24-7's ranking on him. I just think he's a really, really good football player, excellent athlete. And I also trust our West Coast guys because they see guys out that way more than pretty much anybody else in the industry. Kev, you got any thoughts on this film? You're muted, Kev. Boo. So, (laughs) here we go. I, I was saying you, you see the speed, you see the athleticism, you see the change of direction, which is huge in today's game. Um, he's playing a lot of this three, four uh, outside mm-hmm. linebacker, but I do think he's someone you can place at will um, who's going to be kind of potentially targeted by running backs in the, in the passing game and having to kind of move side to side in space yet still be asked to be a consistent presence in the box. And yeah, I, I, I like these kids that almost look like, big safeties and move like big safeties. And I, I think he's kind of a prototypical modern, modern linebacker and someone that um, we really just haven't kind of gotten that body style much uh, in the past yeah, few years, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm going to go back and check his sophomore tape and see if it, there's any of him stacked. Um, that's the one thing you're not getting from his film is his reading reaction skills, you know, yeah. how, how's he handle the box. That's going to take a little bit of time for him to develop. Um, when he gets here, but I, as much crap as Randy Shannon gets, I, I do think he's a, a, a decent developer of linebackers yeah. once they're on campus. I think he struggles to get them here, but I do think he does a pretty good job of developing those guys when he does. Um, and hey, as much as as much credit as as much credit as Derek Ray is going to get for this recruitment, you have to give Randy Shannon a little bit of credit in this one because if. If the family and Blake didn't entrust that Randy Shannon could develop him, they wouldn't be coming here, no matter what they right. feel about Derek Ray. So, yeah. I know, ta- I know, it takes a village, AB. It Absolutely. takes a village. It takes a village around these parts. That's for damn sure. L- let's get Brendan in here. I think I think a lot of people are happy to hear about recruiting, but I think more people want to hear about what's going on out on the practice fields. Oh, there he is. 
No, kick him out. What's Were you guys mean? talking about my crystal balls? Kick him out. <laughs> Singular. Your Strike one. one. Ball. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's supposed to be L's in the chat. What's going on here? Damn it. Bring it. <laughs> Bring the L's. Let's go. All right. Ready to, to wield my sword like Jon Snow against the bastard army. <laughs> Let's talk practice, gentlemen. Uh, I think that that's what people are here, are here for. You two haven't gotten a chance to sit down on the bench, even though Brendan did promise that you two would sit down and discuss <laughs> in depth what's going on. I don't want to say he's not a man of his word, but he's not a man of his word. But we got we wrangled him up tonight. We got him in here. We got him on YouTube live right now with Chris. Yes, Chris. Somebody earlier said Chris would rather be with his wife and kids. I said, no, Chris said not tonight. I'm hanging out with the boys of X's and Knowles. We're talking some football. Um, what are you guys seeing out there? I mean, we'll start with Brendan and then, and then go over to Chris because Chris has been doing a lot more talking. What what have you seen out on the practice field? I mean, it feels legitimately enthusiastic in everything you've been writing on those 24-7, Brendan, all of Mike Norvell's interviews. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> so so let me get the qualifier here. Everything oh, that I'm watching, and then, and then we will drink the Kool-Aid, but the qualifier first, all right? Uh, and then the chaser of the Kool-Aid. Everything that I'm writing about, reporting about as I'm viewing it is through this prism of can Florida State be better than it was last year, which was a five-win team. Uh, can it get to seven wins and maybe be someone or a, a program that has the upside to get to eight? Dare I even say nine? Like, is that are those numbers that are realistic? But is seven like that that mark? And so as I'm watching this team practice, that's how I'm viewing it. Are, is this program moving in the right direction? So with that in mind, uh, the things that stick out to me, first off, you mentioned the energy. I think the energy has been great for five days in a row. Uh, the coaches aren't having to really push effort. Like that's kind of an expectation. That's something we saw in the spring that's carried over to fall camp, which is my second point. It's the second thing I've taken away is that the carryover, the retention from the things that we saw in the spring, which were largely encouraging, I think has followed over to, to the preseason. That to me seems like a, a big reason why is that you have 95% of the roster in the spring. And, and that is now at Florida state uh, in the fall camp. But also, like, this is a program that has a majority of its starters back from last year. A majority of this team has been in the program for two seasons already, going into year three under Mike Norvell. So there's an understanding of expectations, which is really important. Uh, and, and then finally, to me, uh, the speed, the overall body type is noticeably better. Again, better than what a five-win team was last year. And I think a team that, in some ways, after the 0-4 start, kind of overachieved the back half of the season uh, the way they kind of schemed around some of the deficiencies and some of the flaws in the offensive line. Offensive line looks bigger, better, uh, deeper than it was before. Uh, the secondary is flying around fast, even with a couple of the safeties. Uh, actually, both starting safeties not playing the majority of camp. Uh, they're just – it looks – Mike Norvell said the other day, and he caught himself. But this is maybe the best way to sum it up. Uh, he, he started to say – this felt like a real practice. And then he kind of caught himself and said, well, not like, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, well, not like it wasn't like that before, but uh, it's different now. And I think there's an easiness among the coaching staff because they know they aren't hiding deficiencies to the extent they were, uh, that, that guys know what the standard is. And, and you can sense that ease, I think, every time we talk to the coaches and just seeing them coach and practice as well. It, so, you know, something, something a lot of, I've seen discussed kind of around is 
actually being able to field multiple offensive lines. Yeah. Um, Chris, you love the big boys. I do. What? So last year in practice, when it went first to second team, it fell off a cliff, especially as injuries piled up and depth was diminished. This year they're able to split the two fields and field basically four teams, and it obviously gets lesser and lesser as you go down. That's why you have a depth chart, but it's effective. And like second team offensive line is giving good reps to their opponents. Like they're capable. They are 10 deep on the O-line in the sense of having guys who they would feel comfortable putting them in a game. It is night and day. I, I said to a few people, and I, I mean it wholeheartedly, Friday's practice was the best practice I've seen around these parts in years, several years, pre-dating wow. the current coach and the prior coach since before it all went to hell with Jimbo. And is that just is that just focus intensity? Uh, that that practice had juice to it. They were they were getting after it. It was super competitive, very very good at the O line and D line, both getting their wins, but it, giving each other good looks, getting after it, being physical. You know, just kind of whooping each other's ass. That's what you're supposed to do out there. At some mm-hmm. point, it's you know the iron sharpens irons. Well, it's also about just beating the hell out of each other. So when you go do it in a game, it's a lot easier. <laughs> But the receivers caught the ball. That's probably the number one reason it was such a good practice. That That's still one of the things with this team where when they're catching it, when they're effective, when they're blocking it up on the outside on a perimeter effectively, they can be pretty good. They're not yet at the point where you consistently expect that or you should believe in that. They're going to have to do that for much more of camp, showed in games, do that kind of thing before you should be all in on that. But it was good. Um, I mean, there, there are still some warts. Uh, tight end positions, one that I definitely would love to see a little bit more, a little bit more consistency from a little bit more in the sense of just known as a reliable piece. Uh, you know, I've been really pleased with the O-line versus what we've seen in past years at FSU. It's definitely trended massively in the right direction. Um, I love the big bodiness of the interior. And, hey, Marie Smith, kudos. You had a dude come in to come take your job, and you're not giving that thing up without, you know, a battle of tooth and nail that kid's really busted his backside to be a much better player he is a guy on friday who i thought had one of the better practices of his career he goes toe-to-toe with some of the really really talented defensive tackles that fsu is going to roll out there and wreak havoc on people with and he did a very very good job against them he didn't do that last year and you know Mm -hmm. it's been well documented how much he got blown off the ball last year that wasn't happening um you know the receiving core as i mentioned on friday was very good that's still a little hit and miss there's been days where you know, guys didn't concentrate well and finish catches or drops were happening. And those things can't happen. But when they're at kind of their peak performance, they've got some pieces there. They got guys who can stretch the field, like a deuce span, for example. Johnny Wilson, we all know who, he's a willing blocker. When he's doing that on a perimeter, it kind of creates some opportunities. Micah Pittman can run routes. And when he's catching it, he's really, really fun to watch and he's really good. And he's very, very competitive with himself, which is a good thing. I would give Malik McLean, uh, Tron, a little bit of a hat tip. Both of those guys I feel like are doing a little bit more. Not necessarily taking a massive step forward, but it's a little bit more than we're used to. Tron has stacked pretty good practices on top of one another kind of consistently. That's always been an issue that he's been so up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, defensive side of the ball, I think we all probably feel decent about what we think this defense is. You know, they're returning 80-something percent of – what they basically had last year, the, the goal is to replace Jermaine and Kier, massive replacements, especially against run stop. But Derek McClendon has taken that next step. The spring hype for him is true. He's been yeah. good consistently. 
I'm the president of the Dennis Briggs fan club. I think Dennis Briggs is phenomenal. (laughs) I I love that big body on the edge there. His ability to slide inside or outside is huge. And then you got Jared Burst, who we know can wreak havoc coming downhill as a pass guy. I think he's improving as a run stopper. I think that's one of those things where working with John Papuch is coming to FSU, getting the coaching he's getting at this level, working with the guys he's working with at this level. I think he's going to take his next step in this game there. So I feel good about what they have at the end. Not that it's going to be Jermaine or Kier because one of those guys was ACC defensive player of the year and the other one and six (laughs) years of college football under his belt. So that's a lot, but there's good stuff there. And Tatum Bethune's elevated that linebacker room, immense linebacker room immensely. And Kalen Deloach has continued what we saw last season, which is an incremental improvement with every time out there. And I think that's real positive. And they have good depth. Like the depth is just so night and day. There's still guys on this roster who probably shouldn't be here, but the number of those has diminished so greatly from where it was 12 months ago and certainly where it was 24 months ago. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, it's it's a weird feeling. I'm not usually the optimist, I don't think, but I, I'm somewhat <laughs> bullish with this group. Like I've actually, there's things I don't love that I'm seeing in camp, tight end, for example, that I mentioned. But in general, <laughs> I think they're a little better than I thought they were going to be when camp opened through what I've seen so far. Now they're throwing pads on tomorrow. It becomes real football. Saturday, we won't be able to watch the scrimmage, but you get a little bit of uh, what's happening there. And uh, heck, you know, the funniest thing is I don't think I mentioned the best offensive player in this entire rant. Trey Benson. Who is it, Brendan? Who's the Trey, best offensive player? It's it Trey is. Benson. And I don't even know if it's particularly close. Uh, you yeah, hold better your, than Jordan Travis? Ooh, I love yes. me some J-Trav. I'm the president of the J-Trav fan club, all right? Uh, Trey Benson has some special elements to his game. Like, you legitimately, when he touches the ball, you stop what you're doing to watch him because something special could happen. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. He's very, is it just very, the size-speed combination? Yeah, it's sudden, too. Like, it's very – it just happens. It's like – you know, stretch, waiting for that hold open. Oh, he has a vision. He sees the hole open. He hits it. He goes, makes one man miss, and man, he's running away from everybody. And he's a big kid doing it. And he doesn't shy away from contact. Obviously, contact's going to get more incrementally increased here with pads going on. And as camp progresses, you just you start hitting a little bit more than the thudding we've seen so far. But he doesn't shy away from it. He, Benson is... I, I think I was critical of the Benson take because of the knee. And it, it's just amazing. He's he's unbelievably impressive to watch. He is enjoyable to watch. He is kind of must-see TV when you're sitting at practice. Yeah, I've described his running style's graceful violence because it's this amazing combination of just, Chris mentioned, subtle and kind of almost passive until it's not. <laughs> that it's that it's just 100 miles an hour, this little bolt of lightning shoots up field. I shouldn't say little, big bolt of lightning <laughs> shoots yeah. up field with his uh, shoulders stay squared. Yeah, he's he's uh, he has potential to to do some things this year. I'm very interested to see what he does in, in 2022 for sure. And, and not that we want to – It's an excellent room. Like that room is uh, – yeah. We've Solid, had the yeah. yak recruiting conversation many a time, and we always come back to but they produce – that room is good. Treshawn Ward is going to be super reliable. It, you don't count against yards per carry he averaged last year. Obviously, those numbers probably fluctuate with an increase in carries. But you know Treshawn Ward's going to bring it for you. He's also a foxhole buddy. He's the kind of guy that when you're in a fight, you trust him because he's super competitive. And then Toe Philly's kind of the change of pace guy. And Rodney Hill is not far behind in that regard. I don't know how much Rodney Hill contributes this year, but Rodney Hill is going to be a guy that I think helps him at that position down the road for sure. Yeah, Lawrence has been really – sneaky good catching the football he hasn't put the ball on the ground uh, he's someone that we've seen last year like that you could 
you can use them in the passing game. I think that's expanded a little bit and, and that'll allow them to, to be really creative as well with all three of the main running backs. Yeah. There's, we are very uh, Kool-Aid sipping right now here in the preseason, but uh, the program is legitimately moving in a positive direction, fellas. Like I, I wholeheartedly believe that. Well, really I'm not that. a skunk. <laughs> yeah, the, the, that's the thing that you could be a better team, yeah, significantly, yeah. and still maybe win like one game more because of the schedule you have with yeah. the quarterbacks yeah. that are on it. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, that yeah. the ACC is what. One of two best divisions in college football next year, maybe is that yeah, far fetched? Potentially, I think yeah. it's easily top three. I think uh, top two could be argued. Um, and, so, and just from yeah. the quarterback perspective, like on yeah. the schedule, like that, that might be. I guess I'm not privy to like what other teams all across the country are playing from quarterback week to week, but there's probably half the schedule is an NFL caliber quarterback that you'll be going up against. So I, I have some pointed questions about about practice and, and kind of what you guys are seeing. So let's start with the offensive side of the ball. I think the big question mark is is wide receiver for me. So uh, Malik McLean had a bad spring. Um, you see flashes in um, Jordan Will uh, Johnny Wilson. Can he be what his frame suggests he could be? What his recruiting ranking suggests he could be? Um, are you seeing flashes of that? Is is he still super inconsistent? Um, and I, I think we kind of all see what Micah Pittman's going to be. I don't think it's going to be a, much of a surprise. I think he's actually going to be like a consistent presence. But I, I think uh, the final question is span. Like uh, we've heard his name more and more uh, as this fall has gone on. So can you talk about those three guys and um, kind of if there's going to be that presence of an, a big outside receiver that this team is kind of desperate for? Span has the kind of speed that gets vertical really fast. The problem with Deuce Span is that running routes is still a learning process for him. So he's one of those guys I think you got to kind of scheme him up to a degree or at least set the play to give him the opportunity to run away from people. Michael Pittman's the opposite of that. Michael Pittman can run routes at a very high level. Um, his biggest thing is just making sure he makes a catch. And he does. He, Pittman has some days where he's outstanding. He's also had a day or two where I think concentration got the better of him. He just didn't hold on to it. I don't. I'm not concerned about Micah Pittman's hands. He just had a day of camp where it was brutal, and yeah, and he beat himself up for it. So I'm not overly concerned about that. Johnny Wilson's a little inconsistent with the hands. It's not as bad as the spring. He's been better. Um, okay. He had a catch in the red zone, goal line situation, crossbar throw high. He's the only dude other than Deuce Span on this roster who's probably going to be able to go up and to get that. Maybe Tron. And he went up and got it. It's the exact play he's created for. It's, it's why he's built that way, what he can do. He's also an excellent blocker. We all know that. That's one of those things from scouting breakdown. We know he can yeah, it's gonna get I think he's going to help FSU a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, hell, think about like a stack or even if you go diamond with like him and dudes yeah. on one side and he's trying to free up dudes like corners got to pick which tall guy am I going with? He's going to probably gobble up at least one guy. That's how you scheme do span open. And uh, the other guys, Tron Malik McLean, uh, even pokey to a degree. pokey has been pretty consistent. Um, I, I still go back to my point I made after that first day of practice. I don't need pokey to be the dude on the first team. Like FSU will not be a better team passing the ball if Pokey Wilson's still there. But Pokey Wilson as a guy on the first team or even the second team who can help you would be splendid. And I think that's what he's shown pretty consistently this preseason. Malik's had some good moments. He had one where he won in a tight situation, went up and grabbed it. That's what Malik needs to be better at. And the biggest thing I can say about Tron is 
he's stacked good practices on top of each other throughout his time at FSU as a younger player, he would be very up and down. And I think there's a better kind of baseline and he's been consistently above that. So that group is better. I'm not yet all in on that group. Um, I, I wholeheartedly wish Winston Wright was available because I yeah. do think they need that other guy who brings a shiftiness, a change of pace, uh, just ability to get himself open that, that they don't have maybe with everybody else outside of like a Micah Pittman or Deuce Span just running away from people. We've we've seen Tron in the past be have a special connection with Tate Rudemaker on that, that back shoulder fade. Is he is he finding success with Jordan Travis? We, we're not going to talk about depth charts and all that here, but uh, is he is he getting out there with with Jordan and getting reps with Jordan where he is uh, building a rapport with him as well? I will admit I am not a hundred percent sure who he's been catching him from, and he's still a guy that he feasts on the sideline. That is still his home. That yeah. is where he yeah. wants to be. But I cannot remember for sure whether it's Duffy, Tate, or Jordan that he's had the most success with. Man, it's surprising that he hasn't gotten more snaps during the course of the season because we've seen that Norvell likes to have that guy that can feast on the sideline. And uh, yeah, I think it's inconsistency in practice. Norvell really wants to play Kentron. Like you can tell, like whenever he has a couple good days together, like Chris has said, those ups and downs, whenever he has a couple good days together, Norvell's really quick to praise him because he wants to build that confidence. Yeah. Uh, There was one day, I think it was day four, day three. It was the only bad day he's had so far. He had one drop early on. And then later on he ran the wrong route. And if he runs it and, and Tate throws him open, if he runs the right route, and Norvell was livid with them. And you just tell, like, Norvell wants it so bad for Kentron because of what he can be. Uh, it just it, – it's got to be more than two or three good days stacked together. It's got to be five, six. Like, it, you have to start doing that to, to gain some trust in the coaching staff, and that just hasn't – still hasn't happened quite, quite yet. Well, I mean, Mike's opening presser for the season was all about consistency. Um, yeah. That was the name of the game. And I think we're going to find that if guys can't show up to practice day in and day out and be consistent, that they're not going to find their way on the field, no matter who they are. Um, so Friday was such an, a great day of practice. I mean, Chris is literally glowing right now over, over that practice. How was Sunday? Um, it felt kind of meh, but, you know, well, it was for as much as Mike's wanting to talk consistency, how was it? I would say it was inconsistent. I think Mike even referenced that today and speaking about today being a little bit more what we want to see from him, that there were, I think he used the word walls on Sunday. I think that's a fair description of it. There was a little bit of, uh, we've settled into camp a little bit here. We're not as intense as we've been throughout. The The energy has been pretty consistently good at practice. It's, it, and it's not being generated in a fake way. It's being generated by players for the most part. And it's the tone still being set by coaches, but players are carrying that weight. But yeah, Sunday had a little bit of a dip. There's no doubt. And it wasn't even bad. It just wasn't an A game, you know, type of mm-hmm. type of effort. And and Norvell's gotten better at like that not being acceptable too. Like if you if it's a B minus effort that practice, like he's gonna let you know about it. I think the other thing on Sunday too is the defense was pretty dominant. Uh, yeah. but the but the issue I think Mike would tell you that what he would see it is like that the offense didn't force the defense to be mm-hmm. dominant. The defense was able to to play well and dominate. The offense didn't do a whole lot to counter. Whereas today, uh, on Monday, there was more back and forth. The offense was able to exploit a few things here and there, and then the defense would clamp clamp down and, and be good for a couple of series in a row. So 
that back and forth is is what he's looking for. And by and large, that's been more the theme uh, through through the first five days. Okay, so I have one more question, and I I think it kind of goes back to the the other big concern I have for this team and kind of area that I think that they've tried to address. Um, so uh, I've brought this up several times, but it, how is DJ Lundy looking? Uh, <laughs> I mean, they just, I mean they just talked about him transforming yeah. his body, being a different player. He's going to be your third linebacker. He's going to be a guy that sees a fair amount of the field. You need him to consistently be able to move laterally. Are you seeing a change in movement or just a change in body style? Uh, so so today, Kev, I apologize. I was going to message you in the Discord chat to say <laughs> that DJ had a really good day, and today just got away I'm rooting for him, man. It, it was crazy. Uh, but I know you were asking for it. Uh, the Heat got a little bit, a little bit of the best of him uh, on day one. I thought today was the first time where I saw it multiple times. Like, normally I'll just say, like – there's so much going on at practice. You can see one or two things at any given play. You can't see it all encompassing. Today was the first time where I thought DJ Lundy was all over the field throughout an entire practice. Uh, he was downfield in coverage. He was going sideline to sideline and like making plays on the perimeter. It was the first time where I'm like, oh, he, there was one play. It was like, a, I don't want to get into the specifics of the play, but the ball went to the perimeter. He chases it down backside. Uh, and the, the play side of the defense did a really good job containing it and forcing it back inside but DJ was there to make the play. That little extra explosiveness uh, was something that I don't think was super evident last year. In fact, that was, as you pointed out before, Kev, like that's, that was a weakness for him. Uh, now he's moving a little bit more effortlessly, a little bit more naturally. And uh, yeah, today was the first day I was like, oh, that that legitimately looks different than it did a year ago, which was cool to see. Awesome. Yeah, a beautiful oh, thing for Lundy is Tatum Bethune on the top of that pile allows him to slide down. And makes him a little more appropriate for where he is, which is a yeah. good thing. That's not a knock on him. It's just what you needed at that position. You need to upgrade from the top, allowing a guy who should be a second teamer or the third guy out there in certain sets to be that guy. But yeah, I think the weight loss has benefited him a lot. I will say Randy Shannon's coaching style, he does not, uh, if someone screws up or does something he doesn't like, he doesn't let it fester. He gets right to the point about it and he will talk to his guys. The amount he's talked to Lundy versus some other guys who are not that one-two punch of Kalen and Tatum, uh, Lundy's not been talked to near as much as some others. Probably a good sign that he's kind of in a comfortable spot. You know, him and then Amari's the other one that's kind of in that discussion right there as the second team types. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about their top four that Chris mentioned. Yeah, um, yeah uh, Amari evens look more confident and flying downhill. It's so tough to tell in camp because yeah. you're going against the same team every single day, and you just you don't know what the weaknesses are until like last year going into the Notre Dame game, they thought that their DBs were going to be pretty good, and they just realized, unfortunately, they realized it in the Notre Dame game that they were just going against their wide receivers every the day. Wide receivers for, just for that three. bad. Yeah, and that was a that was a sobering reality for that coaching staff. And I think we <laughs> saw them kind of start chasing ghosts a little bit in that Jacksonville State game that you guys outlined so well last year. Um, and for a couple of weeks after, because they were so shook by it. So yeah, that that is a caveat that I think is is fair to to throw out there to our listeners. Yeah, and we've talked about the running back room and how much we like it. There's been big runs hit on good linebackers and good defenses out there at times, but some of the big runs have also come become because of reserve linebackers mm -hmm. basically missing run fits or getting stuck inside or walled off, and then boom, climb the ladder, get to the outside, go. Bad things like that have happened. So. 
there is still at that position a depth isn't probably where you would like it to be, but FSC is also not going to play a whole lot of linebackers. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think that kind of wraps up kind of the the what uh, we wanted no, to no, get no, no, through. No, no. We're not getting we're not getting away. Let's talk big man. Um, yeah, we've got to talk. We've got to talk about the offensive line. I I, I the first thing I want to ask, do they look as big in person as they do uh, in, in all the videos that we've been getting? They look yes. like a college offensive line should look, yes. I, and, I, and that's how they've looked. All the videos that have come out, uh, that they, they finally look like a Florida State offensive line. Yeah. It's so refreshing to sit back and look at. They look completely different. Um, kudos to Josh Storms. Kudos to to Alex Atkins, kudos to everybody involved in getting us to a point where we can say we've got an offensive line that can't, that, that isn't going to walk out there and be an embarrassment. Um, but I, I had a coach AB tell me in the off season, like a couple of weeks before camp be like, wait till you see them. Like they will look different. They'll look like how it should just like, like you guys mm-hmm. said. And I was kind of like, Okay, like I've I feel like I've heard this before, but yeah, I'll sure. take your word for it. And then you see it in your person, you're like, oh, there's legitimately 15 guys who look like they should be power five offensive linemen. And some of that's true freshmen who have a lot of developing to do. But in terms of like passing the eye test, like, yes, that's that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it's supposed to look like. That that's pretty neat. It's it's been a minute. Armel yeah. is a big boy. Early's a yeah. big boy. I, we knew Emmanuel and Turnitin were both very large humans, and they are. Uh, I mean, when you've got Marie Smith has put on a good amount of weight, and as I mentioned earlier, less blowing off the ball that we saw last year. He held um, up against Coop today in a one-on-one. Like he controlled yeah. Coop in the past. And he had a moment like, on Friday where a similar incidents happened. Where last year he's getting driven in the backfield and he can do nothing about it, and that wasn't the case. Now, are there still moments where that does happen? Yeah. But it's That's not gonna as happen. frequent, right? It's yeah. not as frequent. So now, go I, 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 a battle that interests me, and I think everybody's been focused on the center battle. But I think that right tackle battle is one that I've been most interested in coming into this fall. Um, and a name that I don't think anybody thought was maybe going to be in it, and, and I'm curious to see to hear your both of your gentlemen's thoughts on it. Bless Harris. Darius Washington, we know Darius has been – it's out there that Darius has been somewhat reserved early in camp that they're kind of, uh, you know, working him back into things. But Justin Turnitin, is he is he legitimately battling for the right tackle job? I feel like Bless has been – I don't want to get too depth chart heavy. I sure, feel like absolutely. Bless has been very good um, mm-hmm. in the sense of handling that role and doing it effectively. And I, I thought Bless was brought in here to some degree to be a swing guy – who could potentially start more right now. He seems like a guy who may start. And if you have to, you can use him as a swing guy. You know, if you need to move people around, Bless has been good. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I jazz has been fine. Jazz is a really big body. They've actually moved them to both spots as Brendan's signifying up and down at times, but he's also a guy who, and this was said to me when jazz came here to visit, when he loses, he just kind of moves on. Like, he knows he's done this so mm-hmm. much that he gets that. And that's half the battle with the offensive line is getting guys yeah. who just move on to the next rep. You know, yeah, you you screwed up. First and 10 became second and 13, but let's make third down as good as we can. 
Jazz is one of those cats who can move on and handle that pretty well. But Bless has been good. If I was setting a depth chart today, I think Bless Harris would, yes, be your starting right tackle. Yeah. I thought I thought Bless was probably again so hard to to judge the offensive line in real time at the field level uh, at practice, especially when they're doing like two two groups at a time. Uh, but I thought Bless had a really good day. He stood out to me, uh, especially with the the run blocking. So this was this was probably his best day to date. Well, I mean that's certainly that's certainly promising. Um, he's a guy that uh, Kevin and I have kind of been on since the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody, I think everybody kind of felt like Darius was going to walk into that job and, and maybe he would have, if he would have uh, finished the spring healthy, uh, but I felt like bless kind of brought some of that length that they've been looking for at the tackle position and some of the athleticism that they've been searching for there, that it felt like a good combination that I kind of just had an inkling that maybe he, he was going to find his way to the top of that depth chart. Um, but I, I'm curious about Turnitine if he, if he's a guy that they feel like they can rely on some this year, obviously we're going to find out more as practices go along. You know, uh, for those listening on the pod version, Brendan was making a very roller coaster uh, hand hand gesture as we were talking about him. Um, are there any? Are they any of the younger linemen uh, that that are standing out early? Yeah, I would like to point out uh, Bryson Estes, redshirt freshman guard. Uh, he is someone that. They really like what he's done in the weight room, and they feel like just from that perspective, like a workout perspective, that he has a lot of a lot of upside. And we've seen that kind of start coming together a little bit here in preseason camp. Uh, there'll be some bad reps, don't get me wrong, uh, but he's someone that like. If, I think you know when Mike Norvell in the beginning of this, when before camp started, he was talking about finding ten to eleven offensive linemen who you could put in there and they could help you win games. My inclination is that he's going to be in that conversation. If he wasn't in it, then I think that number goes to 11 to 12. Uh, he's someone who holds his own in pass pro, uh, is willing to kind of be scrappy and, and dirty and, and do the things you want in an offensive lineman. Yeah, he's he's got something there that I think uh, uh, there's, there's something to build on with his game. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if he works his way into the two deep this season as a redshirt freshman and, and probably starts in the next year or so. Yeah, two young guys I'd mention. One's a returning young guy, Thomas Schrader, working his way back from injury. He is contributing. He's working his way in there. I don't think he's a necessarily 10-deep guy right now in the sense of the two-deep, mm-hmm. but I do think long-term he's a guy that's going to probably be a solution on the interior in some form or fashion, including potentially center. The nice thing about Thomas Schrader, I noticed it today, when he is handling snapping duties or on the interior, how quickly he gets his head up, locates, gets his hand on people, block, get off a block, secondary block. He's very, he's just very good. He's super fluid at, you can tell he played at a good high school program and mm-hmm. he knows how to play a position at a pretty high yeah. level. It was good to see. He's obviously still got a long ways to go. He's working with his way back. He's probably not close to the weight he wants to be at. It's going to take him time since he basically lost an entire year. Julian Armello is the other one. And it's mainly because of competitiveness. He doesn't back down. Uh, I, I think that's an extremely good quality in an offensive lineman. Is a guy who's just willing to always battle, uh, takes losses, learns from them, moves on, keeps battling. A lot of veteran defensive linemen have praised Julian just for his approach to practice, and it is noticeable with him. Uh, you know, they're they're going to probably work him at both tackle spots. I think as he's kind of getting used to all of this, and I think it will benefit him greatly to do both of those as he kind of figures out where he'll be long term for Florida State. Chris, yeah. I, I got a question for you real quick. Uh, how many players would you say, you don't have to name names, but how many players would you say don't 
belong at the power five level compared to maybe what it was maybe 20 two years ago maybe 10 last year yeah i mean sorry guys this is good good radio last question i'm I'm trying to think i want to give you a good number without going probably a half dozen I was going to say five. I was going to say five yeah. was my inclination when I thought of it a minute ago. Yeah. The pause is encouraging because there was a time where there would not be a pause. It would be a very easy <laughs> number to come up with. The answer would have been a lot. <laughs> it would yeah. it would have been, been an oh man, one, two, you know, three, Immediately four, there's 25 five, guys, and but instead you had to pause. So it's, it's interesting that we've come this far and yeah. are able to be in a spot now where everybody is – Sorry, Brendan, you're going to bleep this. Everybody's bitching about recruiting, um, and recruiting hasn't been great. Uh, I don't want to sit here and, and suggest that it has been, but they have come a long way in rebuilding what this rebuilding this roster and getting it to a point where they can, they can actually be competitive in the ACC. Um, I, I don't think that that should be lost on anybody. At the same time, it shouldn't be lost that they still have a long way to go to get to where they need to be. Yeah, and there's guys at positions. DB comes to mind. The depth of uh, tight end comes to mind. There are guys at those positions who need to kind of do it or go. Yeah. And it's a crucial time for them. I'm not going to single a bunch of guys out, but if you pay attention to reports, what we say, what we write about, it's pretty clear who some of those guys are. Well, those are spots where I think it's Yeah. The guys we don't mention, uh, the, yeah. the, the, there will be an interesting, I've started thinking about this in the last week or so. Uh, if Mike is coaching Florida state in a couple of years, uh, there will be an interesting crossroads of, I am wholeheartedly convinced that he can develop and that he can coach, uh, that his program has gotten better and more functional under his watch. But the recruitment, the recruiting part that AB mentioned has not been great. There's been some pretty brutal misses, mm-hmm. well documented. Uh, there will be an interesting point where it's like, okay, is there a, a a cap that's put on how good this team can get under Mike Ravel? I'm yeah. getting way ahead of myself. Like we, <laughs> we yes, still have to go are. through a, a 2022 <laughs> season. Uh, and see if you can, you know, win seven or maybe do some things and surprise people and get to eight or nine. But you know, can you get to seven reasonably? I think that's the the mark you're you're looking at. Uh, but, but if so, that becomes question. the next thing to look at. What does it have? So okay, you bring in a coach that can develop, that can coach, that does all the things on and off the field that you want to do. But we're pulling in the the big fish is the issue. At what point is that a program problem and not a head coach problem? I think it's both. I mean, in this day and age, let's not act like NIL is not a massive factor for some. Right. And FSU is only able to compete in that realm to a certain degree. You know, they're not going to compete with certain programs that are just willing to go about and buy players at a high level. FSU is not that. So that that exists. The recruiting perspective of it, FSU has been fairly selective, especially in this current class that they're assembling. And uh, at times that chaps people's backside. They don't like it. There are certain guys, oh, we can get Mm -hmm. him. He's attainable. He's talented. But they don't believe in it. I think the idea here that they're trying to execute is we're going to build it the way we want to build it. And if we win, then the pool of what we can recruit from that we like will improve. And because they've had success in the portal and they've gone and found a lot of Band-Aids in the portal and some guys who have been immensely good for them, ACC Defensive Player of the Year last year comes to mind, and some on this current roster who will help them in a great way this year. I think they feel comfortable that if they do miss in the high school ranks of getting this guy, there's going to be an opportunity in the second recruiting period, the transfer period, to find guys that are solutions. So, 
you know, but you can only live that life for so long. At some point, you do have to win. Winning will hopefully breed a little bit more success in recruiting. But this day and age, NIL is such a factor that sometimes, you know, you can be a crappy program and still land really good kids because, well, what do you want, son? I will get that for you. For sure. I mean, yeah. I don't know if that answer is that great for you, Kev, but that's it's a recruiting has never changed so drastically so quick as it has in the last 24 to 36 months. And yeah, if it's you, what a new coach has been shoved into that wholeheartedly with a program that was in a really crappy place. It was in a bad, bad place when he took it over. Hasn't gone particularly great the first two years, 8-13 in that stretch. It is what it is. They've tried to reassemble this roster, and I think they've done a good job considering the success they have had of getting it in a better place. Now they have to go win a little bit more, and everything, every portion of how you assemble a program has to improve. That's a constant goal. And I think that's something FSU is trying to do, but I don't know how much of a leap they can take in some departments, specifically NIL being one of them. Yeah, it seems like there's two two blueprints in the past ten years of how do you turn a program that's top twenty five into a contender, and it's either the Dabo Sweeney model, which is build the culture, build the team, build whatever, uh, make sure that you know you've got a good nucleus, go win football games, the recruiting will improve and maybe you'll get lucky with some quarterbacks or the Kirby smart method, which is go to a school that's willing to invest big time. Um, And so there might be a certain intelligence of, you know, Florida state isn't where Georgia is, doesn't have the money to throw at it. And so maybe you do need to money ball this until with, with a coach that you trust. And so I think that's just going to be the question. How much do you trust Norvell? Bringing up Kirby is a good point. Georgia is obviously a well-oiled machine and they do a good job doing what you need to do to get things done. But Georgia also does a phenomenal job of identifying talent and figuring out this dude can help us win at a high level and going all in on those kind of kids. And I think one thing FSU has tried to be pretty good about is finding guys that they believe can help them elevate things. It's not just acquiring talent for the sake of acquiring a number. It's about trying to improve. And in some ways, some of the guys they take, uh, Johnny Wilson's an example probably of this, it's about certain skill sets they have. It's not that they're necessarily super well-rounded and they're going to do all these good things for us, but they make us better because they can do this, which we didn't have, which will make us a better team. I think that's one area that they've been kind of smart and intelligent. And I, you know, I live that recruiting life 365 every year and I have for about 20 years now. Recruiting needs to be better, but I also kind of understand what they're trying to do. It's a gamble, but if they win, I think it'll be fine. If they lose, well, this is a, results oriented business and it turns out the way it does cool well uh i think we're rounding on uh, an hour and 15 minutes here so um do you guys have any closing thoughts on these db commits the practice practices up till this point um there's been a lot of questions that we've unfortunately not been able to get to in the chat um, no, but i feel like we've answered a lot of them in a roundabout way um yeah some especially of them just by not mentioning guys uh, there's a question about darian williamson in there I feel like he's been mentioned a lot for a reason. Um, he's he, he had a nice day today, uh, and he's kind of been working back a little bit. But he did have his big Williams. I guy. am, but Chris, no, I got Chris on board a little bit. He's he, starting to see what I'm, I'm not seeing. on board. I'm not on board. Is he sticks his Chris foot in the ground and changes. Big Darian Williamson guy. <laughs> he sticks his foot in the ground and changes direction about as well as anybody on that that group of wide receivers. That that's what I mentioned today to Brendan. He was going to turn that into a whole thing. I was. We're going to write a whole. We're going to write a whole. 2000 word expose. I will say one guy I haven't mentioned in this that I've enjoyed watching and he's had some really, really good moments. Brian Courtney, he gets Mm -hmm. off the line really well. He's athletic. 
he won a ball in a phone booth the other day where he created a little separation as the ball was coming to him, went and snatched it. There's some stuff there. I, I don't know if it helps him this year. And, you know, I love me some Jackson West, but he's still dropping too many balls for my liking. They need somebody else to come about at that position. And hopefully a guy like Courtney pushes West and somebody emerges from the bunch. Somewhere, somewhere the hair is standing up on the back of Josh Newberg's neck. Oh, his, uh, his hippie mop is standing up all totally completely. <laughs> it's not like that anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, Brian Courtney, we, you know what, Chris, we should do it. Got some, uh, who, who's got some stuff. Uh, article this week because i feel like we both have mentioned this guy's got something we should do a whole oh ab what's happening to your shirt dude i have no clue it's, it's, just tripping. Tripping <laughs> uh, it's, a it's like it's like it's like marty it's like marty mcfly's family no no still gone uh podcast audience i apologize <laughs> uh he's back i like the floating head look I don't know. If <laughs> it's a good look on it. <laughs> the the oh. only other thing I can think of, and this goes back to something I'll showcase, LJ McCray, who's a 2024 D lineman from Daytona Beach, Mainland. He was awesome. He he was maybe the best player on the field that day. And there was he was in a very good D line group. Keldrick Falk worked out, and Keldrick Falk's a bad man. Um, I, I liked me some LJ McCray. I had never seen him in person, only on film. I liked his film a lot. I loved them seeing him in person. Measurements are there. The athleticism is there. The ability to play football at a high level is there. His dad's a college coach at Bethune-Cookman, has been for a long time. Probably helped accelerate him a little bit. I know he spent a lot of time around the program, according to what his father told me. So usually that kind of helps a kid, you know, realize things a little bit quicker. But, yeah, oh, I if if I'm John Papuchas and the FSU coaching staff looking at DNs long-term, Elgin McCray is on my wish list. Uh, the only thing that I'll add before we go here is I helped uh, facilitate an interview with Mike Norvell today with my amazing knowledge of the FSU roster. So, uh, yeah, Mike walked by. He was not scheduled to talk today. said he would talk to the media for a few minutes if someone could get a trivia question right. The question was Malik McLean's hometown, and I'm a weirdo who stares at the roster way too much and knew that off the top of my head. So you're welcome, FSU Beat. I helped yeah, he said – if he said Braden 10 because he went to IMG Academy, I was going to suplex him through one of the other games. <laughs> At this point, even my head is disappearing. Uh, we're an hour and 17 minutes in. I don't know what the hell is going on here. Uh, I'm floating into nothingness. That's point. great. Um, come back, AB. Come back. Let's go tonight. Trey Rowland has an interview with a special guest. Is yep. that coming out tomorrow, Brendan? Now, I'm going to put this podcast on our feed for Tuesday, and then I will put Trey's podcast on the feed for Wednesday because it's not as time-sensitive, but it's a really good interview. Uh, people should be subscribing to uh, the On the Bench Network, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, whatever your podcast listening uh, stream of, of choices, uh, or not stream, what is it? Platform? Platform. Sure. Platform. Whatever. I just want to say stream. Talk. Yeah. Well, right. Check it out. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, Kev, thanks you, Chris. Thank you, Brendan, for coming out. Uh, we really appreciate it. We really appreciate all the people that came out sports. We almost hit 300 tonight. Oh, We've got, so a lot of goal- got a lot of goals for what's going on here. Um, this is a, a new wave in the Knowles 24-7 site. Uh, it kind of embracing a lot of this YouTube stuff, and we're having a lot of fun, and we're just continuing to get the get this thing rolling, and we're going to be hitting, hitting our stride once we get to Duquesne. Um so make sure you subscribe, make sure you like, make sure you go on, get, take advantage of that 60% uh, off deal on the Knowles 24-7 message board. 
get get yourselves on there because you're gonna only gonna get the best insight that's out there in the Florida State world. Uh, I think that's all for us tonight. Kev, last words. If you want to see me talk at the American Chemistry Society uh, <laughs> on Friday, I'll be at the meeting in Tampa. So you know that's me. Um, but outside of that, thanks for thanks for joining us. Make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, we've had a great time. Hope you have too. And we'll see you next time.